Hello and welcome to Recap, Per Capita's research and policy podcast where we examine inequality and unpack our latest work in our fight for a fairer Australia. We're coming to you from the lands of the Wurundjeri Woi Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation, whose lands were never ceded, and we pay our respects to their elders, past and present. I'm your host, Matt Lloyd-Cape, Director of, for the Centre for Equitable Housing, and this week I'm joined by our Andrew Harrington uh, Research Fellow, Lucy Tonkin. Hello. Hi, how you going, Lucy? Yeah, great, thank you. Good. Uh, Lucy and I are here today to talk about the CEH report, Lighter Than Air, Regulating Short-Term Rentals, in which we took a deep dive into the world of Airbnb and all things short-term rental. I guess to start with, let's just have a chat about short-term rentals, what they are, how many there are, how they impact the housing market, and why they became an area of focus for the CEH. So a short-term rental has been around for a very long time. Most of you have probably gone to a friend's holiday house. You might even have a holiday house that you might rent out on a seasonal basis, sometimes to friends and family, or it might be a a posting online or in a newspaper. And it's basically just any sort of dwelling that is rented out, not as a permanent lease, um, where people move in to live. It is a more, in the name, short-term solution. So anything, what, under three months, would you say, is a short-term rental? Yeah, I think I think that's the commonly agreed upon definition. Yeah. Um, 90 days. And in recent years, there has been a growing interest in short-term rentals because of platforms like Airbnb. So Airbnb is a peer-to-peer hosting platform. So that means that a user can just make a profile. They can book stays on Airbnb, but they can also rent out their own property. So that means that if, for example, you have a room in your apartment, there's a big event in town, you can get someone to stay in that apartment and just earn a little bit of money on top of that. And it also means that that spare room is being put to good use. So it seems like quite an economically viable and reasonable solution. However, as the paper does describe, it has grown in previous years and it has had a flow on impact onto our broader housing market. Mm, Bit of a Frankenstein's monster, right? Like even the the founders of Airbnb are saying it's grown out from what they originally intended, which was an air air mattress on the floor of someone's room in San Francisco when there's a big conference going on. Now we're seeing many more uh, people letting out their entire homes or buying a second property to let it out um, for short-term periods. Um, And that kind of changes the dynamic quite a lot. Like you mentioned, uh, the initial idea was that we would have people letting out spare rooms and that you know, that's a way of increasing the efficiency of our housing stock, the usage of our housing stock. Um, but now we're seeing houses sitting idle and empty for long periods in between short-term lettings because the economics stack up so well for these landlords. So when we're talking about Airbnbs, what do we find in terms of the number or the proportion of properties in the market? We've estimated that there's about 250,000 short-term dwellings in Australia, and that's equal to 2.3% of all of the nation's dwellings. And when we're talking about rental dwellings, so things that can be, they're not owner-occupied, mm-hmm. that is equivalent to 76 of all rental dwellings. So it's a sizable proportion, yeah. but this isn't spread evenly across the country. So there are what we've kind of referred to as hotspots, and they're areas that have a high degree of tourist demand, or um, larger cities that have people coming in and out, for example, students, they're looking for property, they're looking for somewhere to book for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest hotspots that we found was Byron Bay. The numbers that we found were actually quite shocking for some of these hotspots. 
For example, in the Byron Shire, um, over 20% of dwellings were listed as Airbnbs in the previous 12 months from when we did the analysis. So one in five homes yes. have been listed on Airbnb in the previous year. Yes. Um, and that doesn't include stays and the other short-term letting platforms. Exactly. Yeah. So some of those might have only been for a few weeks. Well, say, for example, a longer-term resident had gone on holiday. Mm -hmm. But a high proportion of those had been listed for at least 180 days. So that was over 20% as well yep. of those total Airbnb listings. Things. That means that realistically, those properties are not being leased out to long-term tenants. People that are wanting to stay, get a job, set down roots, these properties just aren't available for mm. them. And we've heard a lot of stories in the newspapers about the impacts of this. So, for example, people sleeping in their cars because mm -hmm. they can't find a place to live, or restaurants having to bus people, uh, workers in um, because there's nowhere local for their work, uh, workforce to live. Mm -hmm. You know, these have big economic impacts, as well as the community impacts that we talked about um, in the report around, you know, the lack of a community building or community cohesion and Absolutely. noise problems, you know, hen parties and mm. stag parties coming in and, you know, maybe being a bit boisterous and noisy in the middle of the night. Um, so we're talking about fairly significant economic and social impacts. Um, and then in terms of, well, in terms of the... Uh, the long-term renters, we're clearly seeing an impact there in terms of how it pushes up uh, rent prices. We did some work on the in the report about the price or the rental yield that um, Airbnb landlords got from uh, letting out their properties. What was the what was the sort of figures we found there? Yeah, so we found that for some of these hotspots. It wasn't long until the revenue from these Airbnb lockings, which can be anywhere from maybe $150 a night to almost $1,000 a night, mm -hmm. made up the average annual rental yield for that area. For yeah. example, in the Northern Rivers, we found that a property would only have to be rented out 25 nights until it reached the average annual rental yield for that area. That's very concerning because if landlords are just there to maximise their profits, which is why they bought an investment property, mm -hmm. renting out an Airbnb is the obvious choice. Mm. Yeah, so I mean, uh, I think one thing that we should probably clarify is that we were talking, we were looking at the median annual rental yields. So you, there's gonna be a lot of luxury properties on Airbnb that sort of push that average up. But still, 25 nights, even if that is a lowball estimate, it's an incredibly yeah. worrying figure for any renters in those areas. Um, so I guess what this brings us to is that Airbnb is not really a housing option, it's a tourism option yeah. for the use of our dwelling stock. Because people don't build a property to then let it out on Airbnb, no. generally speaking. They just buy an existing property. So we're driving more and more investment into the wrong kind of rental investment and not into construction at all. What other influences do you think we've seen in recent years? In the short term, we had like some very significant changes in the market during the COVID-19 pandemic, where obviously people couldn't take holidays anymore. We had a lot of uh, changes there. So have we seen a reduction in the number of uh, Airbnbs since COVID-19 or during COVID-19? Yes, so there was a reduction in the number of Airbnbs since COVID-19, but it has grown quite significantly, mm -hmm. especially in that period of time where international travel wasn't quite as viable, there were some border closures still happening, that it was a huge inflation 
The COVID-19 pandemic was a really great opportunity for some researchers to study the effects of the removal of Airbnbs from the housing market. For example, some research in Hobart found that the removal of 195 dwellings during the pandemic from the long-term rental market shifted the vacancy rate from 2% to 1%. So that happened at the end of the pandemic when houses were returning to short-term rentals as borders opened, things mm-hmm. like that. So unfortunately, the COVID pandemic did help slow those rental inflations for a bit, but it's really come back surging since then. Mm, it's really amazing research, isn't it? It shows that just a few hundred uh, homes moving from long-term rentals into the short-term rental market can have such a huge impact on a market the size of Hobart, which is a pretty, you know, it's a sizable uh, city. Um, That's quite an astonishing um, Mm. effect to half the vacancy rate with just a couple of hundred properties. Absolutely. Um, And we, uh, just to go back to that first figure, we found around a quarter of a million properties were on the short-term lettings um, sector. Maybe just to clarify, Airbnb accounts for around 75% of the entire short-term lettings market. So we often, um, just when we're assessing our numbers, we're just adding an extra 25% on top of that to, um, to understand the entire market. Yeah, so what were some of the other key findings from the report, Lucy? So one of the key findings that we found was that over 18% of the properties listed on Airbnb throughout the time that we were studying were booked for more than 180 nights a year. So that really shows that, um, for one, these properties are being used as Airbnb as their primary purpose. Mm -hmm. But also that's really concerning considering that in New South Wales, there actually is restrictions on the amount of time that you can rent your Airbnb out for. So a lot of the big tourist hubs in New South Wales, for example, Sydney, the Byron Shire, and um, parts of the Central Coast have put this restriction in where there needs to be planning permission in order to change your property from a dwelling to a form of accommodation if you're wanting to rent your property out for over 180 nights. Mm -hmm. But we found that in a lot of places, for example, as I said earlier, the Byron Shire have really been exceeding this by a significant amount. Mm. That means that what what little regulatory framework we have in at the moment is not working. Mm-hmm. So I think the figure was around 20% of yeah. um, Airbnb hosts were breaking that 180 nights per year limit just on yeah. Airbnb as well. Absolutely. So if you've got people listing on Airbnb and on other platforms, it would be yeah. probably a likely a higher figure than that. So one in five Airbnb hosts are breaking those fairly light regulations that we do have. Um, So what can we do about it? What do other people do about it in other countries? So there's a huge range. Um, Some of them are more restrictions on how many properties you can own. For example, there are second home limitations. So you can only rent out your primary residence. So Mm. that really just restricts your renting to instances where you've gone on holiday or you might be very temporarily relocating from your house, or you might be renting out a room in your house. Mm, so sort of getting back to the original principles of Airbnb. Absolutely, the air yeah. mattress on the floor sort of model. Yeah. There are also restrictions on how many nights you can rent out. For example, in Amsterdam, across many cities in Europe, Paris, um, Berlin, there requires planning changes. Um, and if you're wanting to rent out for more than 80, 90, 180 days. So that's really just making sure that the short-term rental is just ancillary to its main occupation as a dwelling. Mm -hmm. 
there are also restrictions on the type of dwellings that can be Airbnbs, for example, granny flats, tree houses, caravans, restrictions on that as well. That's generally for more safety purposes, making sure that it's a habitable dwelling that is being rented out, regardless mm. of how long it's being rented out for. I guess that's particularly important when you've got a, a rental crunch like we've got at the moment with very low vacancy rates. And Absolutely. You'll have people on the be- on the sort of periphery who are letting out all kinds of uh, unsuitable dwellings. I think we've seen some yes. stories in the newspapers of, you know, uh, essentially, yeah, tree houses and shacks being sold as um, boho camping yeah, solutions to, to people's long-term renting needs. Yes. Um, so, okay, so we're starting pretty much from a clean slate in Australia yeah. in terms of regulating. And we've seen some changes now in Victoria. Mm. Um, do you want to walk us through some of those changes so we people know what changes are happening in Victoria? So the key change that's got a lot of media attention is the 7% levy on Airbnb bookings. So this is aiming both just to collect revenue from this new form of industry, but also guide market signals towards hotels and more traditional, I suppose, forms of accommodation, Mm -hmm. and then directing that um, investment into long-term rental properties rather than short-term rental properties. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So in our report, we recommended rather than a um, generic standard tax across the board, we recommended that councils would um, instead change their rates for mm-hmm. certain types of dwellings. So, say uh, an air, a council area is suffering from a short-term, uh, sorry, from a supply of long-term rental properties, then maybe changing the rates from residential rates to commercial rates yeah. for people that are um, hosting for more than 180 nights, for example. Yes, and that's something that started to happen in Queensland. So, mm-hmm. the city of Brisbane has in the past few years implemented that and so has the city of Hobart just in the last few months. So it should be really interesting to use that as a bit of a case study to Mm. see how that works, especially something like Brisbane, similar to say Melbourne, big city, there's different forms of investment in different areas that goes from large estates um, for weddings on the periphery of the city to small apartments that are being rented out for one, two nights while people come in for conferences Mm. and quick visits. Now you mentioned earlier that um, even where we've got regulations in place, um, hosts are ignoring or skirting around them. Um, That speaks to the issue of implementation and enforcement. So how can we go about that better than we're doing at the moment? A key thing is just registration of properties. At the moment, for example, the data that we use to conduct this research is scraped data from Airbnb itself. There isn't any system nationwide or even statewide, aside from in New South Wales and in a few smaller, very small um, regional councils in Australia uh, that conduct a cohesive registration system. Mm -hmm. So basically we don't really know where these Airbnbs are. Um, And we're saying Airbnb, but as we've mentioned before, there are other platforms that are hosting short-term rentals. Mm. There are also more ad hoc short-term rentals which are more operating with friends and family and broader networks like Mm. that. So for starters, we need to know where these Airbnbs are and how they might be affecting local rental dynamics. For example, there are some towns which there is an excess of housing stock anyway because they're just holiday towns that have a very small permanent population. Mm -hmm. And it's not the worst thing in the world if just a few more holidaymakers come um, maybe on off seasons or times when they hadn't traditionally been able to get accommodation. Mm. That's maybe one thing we haven't touched upon, is it? Yeah. Australians love short-term rentals. You yeah. know, we, um, we love the idea of going off to 
uh, you know, some far-flung beach and staying in a house rather than having to go to the crowded hotel area. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I think one thing is to get the balance right. And um, clearly, as with many areas of the property market, we swing in favour of landlords and owners and uh, investors far more often than we do um, the local community and renters and so on. Absolutely. So getting that balance right is, is really interesting. And, and, you know, people do cry foul of the... Uh, 7% levy in Victoria or the idea of 180 nights per year limit in the city of Melbourne. If you look around the world at how other uh, countries or jurisdictions regulate Airbnb, it's really uh, instructive. So in Ireland, for example, if you have an unregistered Airbnb or short-term rental in a rent pressure zone in an area that's been designated as a real hotspot hot for um, a lack of rentals, you can go to prison. Yeah. Or have yeah. a five thousand euro <laughs> fine. You know, really significant. Absolutely. Um, really significant regulations. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, we still we're still in that this period or this cultural moment where we really just favour private property over mm. the community benefits of uh, of housing stock, and I think that's something that's shifting. The dynamics are shifting at the moment. I think so. Like, like you said, there are case studies overseas where the community has become so enraged with the prevalence of Airbnbs and short-term rentals that there have been extremely drastic measures. Mm. I'm thinking of New Orleans where there are blocks where you have to go into a lottery in order to open an Airbnb and there's generally only one Airbnb allocated per block. Mm-hmm. So these sort of measures, when you compare them to a 7% levy, the 7% levy almost seems negligible Mm. and I think that if we don't put in these measures to kind of calm the market there will be greater community appetite for these really quite drastic and probably quite expensive to um, oversee sort of measures Mm. Mm. yeah that that backlash um, will, will become more apparent and I guess one thing is that you know our research showed that for example in Melbourne Airbnb hosts are earning on average $14,000 $14,000 a year mm-hmm. from their lettings. You know, it's an incredible source of revenue. If you if you own that property outright or if you have a small uh, mortgage, or even if you have a large mortgage, you're still paying off that mortgage at a pretty swift rate. Absolutely. Um, from those earnings. So um, getting that balance right is something that um, it's not always that easy to do, and it no. requires, um, as you say, a lot more data. And, um, and getting the data from companies like Airbnb notoriously difficult how do we go about getting the data from these guys in the first place there needs to be a level of negotiation with airbnb i think treating it as this enemy that doesn't almost get negotiated with doesn't help anyone overseas there's been examples of for example in amsterdam which has quite restrictive um, regulations of airbnb they do also have a memorandum of understanding with airbnb which accounts for data sharing and transparency and negotiation mm. and the EU's gone all out on this right Absolutely. so the entire yeah. yeah so now every single well it's in the process of being negotiated but soon it seems every single room of an Airbnb will have a designated number mm-hmm. um, a registration number and Airbnb and other hosts will have to share data directly with federal and uh, regional governments of their member states yeah. um, so that they know exactly how many short-term lettings there are, how well those buildings are being util- utilised and so on. So, yeah, I think you're right. You know, In terms of getting this level of data that we need to actually make decent policy really requires either federal or state governments to, to work together to negotiate with this very powerful and quite litigious company. Absolutely. There is that element of... 
Airbnb are known for their big lawsuits, their community campaigns, um, marketing, everything like that. However, it has happened overseas mm. and it is not out of the frame of reference that it could happen in Australia. More targeted information also means that huge statewide regulations might also not be necessary, which does benefit Airbnb. For example, if we were able to really understand which councils are struggling the most from Airbnb, we can regulate Airbnb at a council level rather than having these statewide blunt levies, tools. blunt tools yeah. that do obviously harm the profits of Airbnb. So mm. I don't think it is really um, an unimaginable task of negotiating that. Well, there you go. So there is some benefit to being the latecomer to the regulatory party. <laughs> yeah, there's, um, a lot, there's a lot to learn from. <laughs> there's a lot of places to learn from. And I think as always with the property market, you know, investors, uh, councils, everybody wants a level of uh, certainty and stability in the regulatory settings. So if we leave things ad hoc uh, and let things turn into um, backlash type regulations, we're going to see poor outcomes for everybody. And what we need to see is some firm leadership at the state and federal level and plenty of examples to learn from in the US, in Europe and elsewhere. Well, that is all we have time for today. Thank you, Lucy. Thanks. Um, we'd like to thank our listeners for joining us for another episode of Recap. As always, if you'd like to learn more about this report, head over to percapita.org.au and search Light as Air, or pop over to our workpage where you'll be able to find all of our reports and submissions. Join us next time when we continue to examine inequality and work towards a fairer Australia.